Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. With classrooms full and a school year like no other, we decided to talk with some of the most impactful people when it comes to student learning outcomes, our teachers. Today, we are kicking off a two-week series with the North Carolina Regional Teachers of the Year. I'd like to welcome to the show three Regional Teachers of the Year, Susanna Serrato from Asheville City Schools, Nicole Rivers from Cumberland County Schools, and Jennifer Bryan from Brunswick County Schools. Thank you all so much for joining us here today. Thank you. Thanks Thank for having you. us. And yeah. I also want to say congratulations for being your regional teachers of the year because that is awesome. So thank you so much. Um, we are now, you know, in our second week or for some of you, maybe even a little bit more into the school year. And I'm just curious to hear from each of you, how is this year similar to and different from what you expected? In Brunswick County, we uh, welcome students on August 23rd, 100% face-to-face uh, with masks. And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful just to see um, our hallways full again, um, our students in classrooms engaged. We are continuing to uh, offer one-to-one -one in terms of our Chromebook technology um, to be prepared um, uh, for kind of worst case scenario situations. Um, but students uh, continue to be uh, really well, I guess, um, adapted to continue to doing digital learning. Um, but I can tell they are so grateful as, as our teachers to be back in the classroom, um, getting that face-to-face -face interaction with one another. So uh, thus far, we've had a really strong start here in Brunswick County, specifically at South Brunswick High School. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we will stay healthy here, um, that folks in our community will continue to take the right precautions that they need to for us to all stay safe and, and to stay um, so we can stay in the schools to, to do the jobs that we know we need to do for our students. And Nicole, you're also coming to us from high school. Um, what is your year looking like? It is looking like a true hybrid kind of thing. Okay, so the transition is is great. We came back 100% as well, mask and um, between my classes and even during my class, there's a lot of, okay, get your hands sanny. Okay, squeeze now, clean up. Okay, we can't pass items and cleaning tables and things of that nature, um, going in one direction in the building and in certain areas to make sure kids are just staying as safe as possible. So I, it gives us a sense of security that we're doing all we can. Um, what's different is that students are now eating it in our classroom with us. So that you know, we usually send them all to the cafeteria. So I'm having an elementary school, I think, experience or something. Sometimes, you know, just like, okay, guys, we're eating together. Yay, right? Um, so, but I enjoy uh, the kids so, so much. Um, the, there's a challenge of what do I keep from the old before, you know, COVID came? And what do I use from the new? Making sure that I keep those SEL assignments, you know, those social emotional learning assignments and those connections going. The kids have not been in school together all at the same time for a while. And some kids are new. So even though they joined us last year online, they didn't step a foot into our building until August 23rd and they have to make friends now. So making sure kids are collaborating safely is definitely one of my number one priorities in my classroom. Um, so, you know, with all the precautions going on, we are still making sure that the kids feel connected and, and feel at home in our classrooms and in our buildings. 
you mentioned elementary school and Susanna, that's where you're coming to us from. So how is your school year what you expected or what's different? Well, I was just sharing with a colleague how grateful I am to feel like we had a fairly what it was ostensibly normal start and that ironically the thing um, with which most people are the most acclimated to which most people are most acclimated is mask wearing. So the thing that seems the most obviously foreign is actually the thing that is shockingly comfortable. It's all the other stuff. You know, the we don't focus on learning loss at our school or in our district. We're not using that terminology. We think it's um, smarter and safer to focus on the assets we still possess and all that we gained while learning virtually, especially for the, the smaller children for whom I think a lot of attention has been put on them as far as what they haven't been able to do. So um, because we're not focused on that, we're focused on, um, you know, reteaching how to be a person in a shared space. And it's already difficult, I think, for K through five students to truly understand how to share a space safely. Um, so add on top of it, the fact that the, you know, our, my third graders have basically not been in school since first grade. So it's, it's, um, it's that reacclimation to a shared learning environment. And so far it has been nothing but joyful. Um, they are so excited to be together. We are all so excited to be sharing things. Um, it feels like putting on a familiar costume, um, but almost with an, an, an intangible energy because we haven't been able to do this in so long. Um, we have, as a district, taken on in Asheville City Schools a lot of new curriculum district-wide. So there's actually been a really great spirit of camaraderie and collaboration because we're all not just starting back in person again, but also starting these new initiatives. So there's also been this kind of spirit of collaboration amongst teachers, which has been um, welcome. So I am thrilled. Uh, we're you know just finished day seven. We've done our self-portraits. We've read some books already. We're jumping into three-digit edition. So <laughs> I feel like That's I'm in my element, yeah. <laughs> when you're with your students and thinking about students and families in particular, um, are there additional supports or different needs than you've had in previous years? Certainly, I think that as a district, we did a really pretty amazing job throughout the pandemic of creating a lot of community partnerships and those still exist. So there's still a lot of communication between um, those community stakeholders that are caring for children outside of school um, and ensuring, you know, that there is there are sort of similar precautions happening in, in all environments. But there's also this lingering, the, the lingering benefit of just family relationships. I feel like as a district, we really prioritized that partnership with families, particularly during remote learning. And that has just carried over. Um, I've always felt historically that there is, um, that some teachers possess or, or feel a discomfort of, of bonding with or partnering with families. And I think one silver lining of this experience is that that has been um, dispelled a bit, that there is an embracing of those relationships. Um, but as far as, you know, we, we do not have a sense of hybrid here. Um, there is very much a sense of fully masked 
100% in-person learning. We haven't even introduced our technology yet for the year, which has felt very refreshing. Um, we're going to be doing, unfortunately, in third grade, you know, there's some pressure, some testing pressure coming up. So we're going to have to be doing that soon. But, you know, I I think it's really just focusing on that community building piece, focusing on that relationship building piece um, and that reacclimation piece and using the assets that we developed last year through these relationships um, to help kind of support us as we begin. I definitely want to echo what Susanna said. And in terms of uh, parent communication last year, I by far and away um, experienced the most parent contact and had the most parent contact last year um, out of my 12 years of teaching. And it was wonderful in most cases. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, so I, I plan to continue um, building those positive relationships with the families of my students and building positive relationships um, with my students themselves, um, understanding, you know, there's more to them than just what I see in the 90 minutes that I have them each day. Um, so really, that one, you know, is going to continue to be a big focus for me. At the high school level, we have to focus on how we communicate information, not just with our families, but with our students. You know, our students are at the age where um, they are taking responsibility for getting information about school, about school policies and procedures. Um, and especially because we are still in a state of, of um fluctuation with potential quarantines and exposures and, and students um, advocating for themselves for when they do have to be out of school, whether it's due to a quarantine or exposure, students advocating for themselves and, and knowing how to still access their schoolwork and to stay, um, stay engaged with their teachers um, when they have to be absent. One other thing I'll say is I'm very grateful that for the first time, um, in at least in a long, long time, we have a uh, school nurse on our staff five days a week. Um, and I am grateful for the support that she will be able to provide for our students and families. And um, I believe that's across our district that we are now fully staffed with nurses on our campuses five days a week. And that is a huge and tremendous. Um, I don't think that's the case still yet in all districts across the state, but I certainly hope that that funding um, is prioritized and that we're able to um, continue to support and provide individuals like nurses and social workers and behavioral specialists to help support us and our families. Thank you so much for being here. After the break, we will be back to continue this conversation. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to our discussion with three of our regional teachers of the year. We're asking a lot of our educators to support our students in all these different ways. And what do you think we need to do in order to support our educators so that they can support students and families? I had uh, was in a meeting and a teacher said, educators are people too. And I was like, yes, you know, it was just a great statement. It was so simple yet so deep. And I think that there's this uh, stereotype or myth or ideal that we are superhuman and that we can do more and take more and handle more than anyone else. And we push ourselves to achieve that ideal, but sometimes it's to our own detriment. So one of the things that we definitely need is for leadership and those in our stakeholders, even in the community, our students and our parents to understand that we are human. We need the same grace that we give to everyone else. We need time to be able to produce all the things that um, communities and stakeholders and uh, students need us to produce for them in a quality manner. And we need time to take care of ourselves as well. One of the other things we need on a more serious note is clear directives, like clear 
communication about procedures and what things are to happen and when, in this, especially in the situation of a pandemic. Like, what are our policies? What are our procedures? When this happens, what should our response be? How do we keep everyone safe? You know, how do we keep ourselves safe? I'm grateful for the leadership in Cumberland County. And, you know, they hear things and they're like, oh, wait, this is what's really going on, you guys. And let's stay positive and spread the right messages to our kids and to our parents. Um, there's a, you know, this whole concept of you're supposed to be a teacher. I don't know if you've ever had that said to you ever in life, but my son said it to me when he was in like, like second grade and he asked me some random question. I teach English. Okay. But in his head, I'm supposed to be a teacher, which means I know everything. And so my students expect me to know everything that the superintendent knows, that the principal knows, like I'm that source. And so keeping us in the loop and in the know and involving us in critical decisions that impact us and our students and our classroom, our curriculum, that is so important to keeping us feeling like we are being respected and well taken care of and that we are valued. We've long known that we are you know, having an increasing shortage um, of educators. And so when we think about recruiting and retaining high qualified and well-prepared teachers, what advice do each of you have for districts and educator preparation programs, the universities, community colleges, and those who might be interested in teaching. This idea of what is essential to support the livelihood and the professionalism of being a teacher. So there's the important things, like you mentioned, teacher training. But then there's also this idea of communities having essential housing for their for their staff. So that, you know, there's a, a trend um, across the country right now that most public service employees can't afford to live in the areas that they in which they perform that service and that i think is pervasive not only around north carolina but around the country um, so the first thing that comes to mind is creating opportunities for the creation or partnerships to help create that kind of essential housing essential supports that could enable people who are doing service in their community to live in their community that's only going to strengthen those relationships and the ability for them to sustain if you're living an hour away from your job no matter what the nature of your job is it creates a burden upon you to to do your best the other half of that is being equipped with the correct toolbox to fill those skill gaps when they present themselves so essential supports to you know, retain teachers in the community that they're working in, but then also the intellectual and professional support so that they have a fully equipped toolbox, so to speak, so that they're not alienated from the job because they don't feel equipped to meet the needs of the students that they're given. I mean, in third grade, you know, it's it's that pivotal year of the switch, you know. You, you yep. switch from learning how to read to learning from what you read. And often, you know, policy is based upon the reading scores of third graders. Right. So if, if, if as a state or as a district, you're not equipping those third grade teachers with um, all of the necessary tools to help remediate, I don't like that word remediate, but to help fill those skill gaps, um, it can be very, it can be a very daunting task. I hear a lot of students like when they have this conversation about why they don't want to become a teacher and they'll say it's the pay, you know, they'll say, 
um, y'all don't get paid enough for this. And it's so funny because high school students, they know, you know, they're like, this is a lot. Um, and so, but this is the thing. I love my job. I love my students and it is so rewarding. Um, it is so fulfilling. However, I am a parent. I'm a homeowner. I'm all these other things human and I have to survive in a society that it's modern and inflation is real. So um, that is important to address that financial um, you know, benefits that ne don't necessarily have to come in raises, but I feel like we need to get more creative. How can we create partnerships with businesses? How can we create special opportunities for teachers to, to invest and to, to do other passive income things? Like we need to get, think out of the box because for me, I don't like my pay being held up by legislation. Uh, as far as what it's gonna have, what's gonna happen with it every year, that's a scary feeling. So, is there a way to to know that that is a part of it, and hopefully, we can resolve some of those issues? But what other avenues are being created for mm -hmm. teachers to blossom financially so they can stay in the classrooms with the kids they love to teach? Do you have any thoughts on policies, legislation this year that you just think are really important to you as an educator? I and I know teachers across the state are keeping a close watch on the budget process. Um, not having a budget yet means that teachers um, haven't received their step increases uh, yet this year. And lots of teachers have questions about that, um, expecting to see a step increase at their first um, August paycheck. Um, and we, of course, will have to wait till a budget is passed um, before, before we see that. Um, not just tied to teacher pay, but other resource allocation towards education. We're certainly paying close attention to that. Um, I'm also interested to see um, how much of the Leandre recommendations are, are picked up and moved on um, in this uh, current budget and, uh, and moving forward. Uh, and then of course, um, HB 324, which at the time of, this, of our recording um, is as I believe waiting on another vote in the house, a concurrence vote in the house. So uh, certainly, um, as, especially as a social studies teacher, that is something that I am uh, following closely, um, have concerns about, um, and uh, we will be looking to see to see what happens. I know as regional teachers of the year, you all are working together to really help further the teaching profession and also the education for all of our students. I wonder in our last minute, um, Jenny, if you wanna share just a little bit about that work with the regional teachers of the year. Yeah, so we are just three of, of a team of nine who uh, are being led by um, our State Teacher of the Year, Eugenia Floyd. Um, and we had some time together over the summer at NCAT, uh, at the Ocracoke campus of NCAT, to really think about what we wanted to focus on and promote um, as our vision and mission for the year. And so as a team, we are gonna be working together this year to elevate students by empowering educators. Our, our mission then to support that vision of elevating students by empowering educators is to ensure all students receive a high quality, equitable education. Uh, so we're gonna do that through hearing, connecting and supporting the educators in North Carolina so they feel elevated, activated and empowered in their commitment to students. One of the action goals that we set and have started to make moves on involve connecting stakeholders to our mission. So this is a great example of doing that. We've had a lot of conversations with people trying to spread the word of what our goals are. Um, we want to create intentional opportunities for educators to be heard. So it, it, it echoes some of the work being done at the state level, but a lot of the action on our part has been around 
um, creating and then solidifying networks of teachers. So um, at the district level, um, replicating successful models of teacher advisory councils. Um, as regional teachers of the year, trying to unify our region by creating um, teacher advisory councils at the regional level, which then can inform some of the work that the, the teacher leadership council at the state level is doing. With the idea that hopefully this network will stay in place and communication will be far more clear and far more consistent and hopefully more transparent. And all of that is in an effort to activate this network of resources that Nicole and Jenny have spoken about that can help teachers want to stay in the profession and develop as a whole educator. So we're thrilled to be already making moves on all of that. Well, I cannot thank each of you enough. And I know how fortunate your students are, but also your communities and your families and the educators that you work with every day. So thank you so much for being with us after the break, this week's final word. As I listened to North Carolina's phenomenal regional teachers of the year during today's episode of Education Matters, I was reminded yet again that our state has work to do to ensure that the teaching profession is well supported and attractive to our best and brightest educators and leaders. As the daughter of a teacher and a former teacher myself, I know how incredibly challenging the role can be. And yet the pandemic has exacerbated many of the inequities that our students, teachers, and schools face. Did you know that educator preparation programs in North Carolina have experienced declining enrollments of about 50% since the Great Recession? This reality has had a cascading effect and attracting and retaining high qualified educators to our classroom has become increasingly challenging over the last decade. One way to turn this around is to improve working conditions for educators, including increasing educator compensation and creating incentives to enable low wealth districts to attract and retain qualified and well-prepared teachers. Earlier this year, the Public School Forum called for raising pay for teachers and instructional support staff by at least 5% for the 2021-22 fiscal year. Our General Assembly is currently working on developing a budget that includes teacher pay proposals that do not quite meet that goalpost, but they do include some increases and bonuses that teachers would appreciate as they have not had raises since 2018. We hope that our state leaders move expeditiously toward passing a state budget that supports our educators and makes the profession more attractive than it is today. Another important endeavor we must undertake is to work harder to significantly increase the racial and ethnic diversity of North Carolina's qualified and well-prepared teacher workforce. Research has found that students of colors have strong academic and social emotional outcomes when they have the same race teachers in their classrooms and all students are at a disadvantage by not having teachers of color. The work resulting from the Governor's Drive Task Force has offered a clear roadmap that contains innovative practices to support this effort. We can support district-based grow-your-own recruitment programs and scale up other promising teacher preparation programs that tackle the critical need to diversify the teaching workforce. Finally, if you're asking if we have the resources to do more for our public schools, the answer is yes. While we, like all states across the country, have access to federal COVID relief funding, much of that has been and continues to be rightfully spent on materials to protect our children and teachers' health and safety and programming to mitigate other impacts of the pandemic. Those dollars are also intended to be one-time monies, and North Carolina needs to couple that federal spending with recurring state investments that set us up for success to serve future generations. Fortunately, we have weathered the pandemic well from an economic standpoint, and our state has an additional $6.5 billion in state revenues to spend over this biennium. 
to continue to attract thriving industries that will want to do business in North Carolina, a system of strong public schools is an absolute requirement to ensure a robust economy for years to come. Many of the requirements contained in the court-ordered Leandro Plan offer targeted strategic investments in our public school system designed to ensure each and every one of our children has access to a sound basic education that positions them and our state to succeed on the global stage. There's never been a better time to invest in our young people and the necessary supports that ensure they receive a high quality public education. Let's do it now. And let's do it with strong recurring investments that will pay dividends over the decades to come. Thank you for taking the time to learn and think about education. That's all for today. And we'll see you next week.